Good morning, everyone. Happy Lord's Day. So if you have been uh, attending our church for quite a while, or you visited our website, or you, um, you, a, a friend brought you to, uh, here, and you've heard uh, our, some of our presiders mention at the start of the worship service what we aspire as a church. And you may have heard these words, we aspire to be a gospel-centered church, living gospel-shaped lives for the gospel renewal of our city and beyond. That's in our tarpaulin that's already broken now. That's why we don't use it anymore. That's why a lot of people get lost when they go here because we don't put that anymore. But let me repeat that again. We aspire to be a gospel-centered church living gospel-shaped lives for the gospel renewal of our city and beyond. That's a lot of gospel in one sentence. And why do we do that? Why, why do we mention that all the time? You know, of course, there's this danger that when we say something so often, we forget what it really means. We forget or we, we minimize its value. Or sometimes, we use the word assuming that we or anyone else understands what it means. And my desire as the church planter of this church that's very recent is that we want to make it very clear what we mean when we say we aspire to be a gospel-centered church. We want to be clear uh, with that so that when you leave this church today or when you, when, when you find a job elsewhere and you leave three months from now, when you stay here for three years and something happens in your life that brings you somewhere else, or you stay here, Lord willing, this church is still here for 30 years, wherever you are in that spectrum, you will take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. And you are clear with that. That's, if we do that, you know, I'd, I'd thank the Lord. And, and, and I'd be happy. And for that, I hope that our new sermon series will be helpful for each and every one of us. And so we will start this morning studying a New, a new Testament letter called Galatians. So we finish... Uh, at, at length, um, you know, uh, first part of Genesis, Genesis 1 to 11, and from time to time, uh, Pastor Lance uh, comes over to, to preach uh, uh, the book of Acts. Uh, and so today, uh, and I think we will go through this uh, about three months, shortest time, three months, or maybe you know, four months or whatever, but uh, we will go through this letter uh, called the Book of uh, Galatians. So this is a letter of Paul written to uh, Christians in a region called Galatia. So this is somewhere in, in modern-day Turkey. This was written uh, sometime between uh, 48 AD to about less than 60 AD. And, and, and Galatians, obviously, uh, are mostly, if not all, Gentiles. This is a Gentile region. They became Christians from the preaching of Paul in his first missionary 
journey. And obviously, again, this is an, a letter, right? Which in literary terms is very different genre compared to what we have been learning the past few Sundays. So the book of Acts and Genesis, they are narratives. They are telling stories. But this structure is a letter, right? And we are very familiar with a letter. Before, people write letters. Now, just pe people send emails or just a private message. But this is an actual formal letter, so it will have a structure of a letter. So, ano yung structure ng letter? You have the greeting or salutation. You have the body of the message. You have some exhortation in his letter. And you have some closing remarks and then sometimes benediction or an ending, right? Um, and a big portion of our New Testament Bibles uh, are letters of Paul, right? A big chunk in the New Testament was written by Paul to either churches or congregations or to individuals like Titus or Timothy or Philemon. And they will share this structure of a letter. But among those letters, Galatians is different in its structure. Galatians, this letter seems to be different. How so? Let me quote two letters and I will let you uh, see what's common uh, First Corinthians 1.4 I always thank my God this is the, at the start of the, the, the letter I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Jesus Christ that you are enriched in him in every way in all speech and all knowledge right? okay that's First Corinthians Philippians at the start of the letter, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in, in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel the first day until now. It will be the same with Colossians. It will be the same with Romans. What's different with Galatians? You will never see something like this in Galatians. That thanksgiving, you would think in a letter, would be present in the first nine verses of Paul's letter. And as we have heard, it was read to us, there's no such thing. In fact, you will not even see it throughout the whole letter. You will never see Paul saying the same things of thanksgiving to this congregation. And you will notice as we go through this series, his tone is very firm and very direct. It's as if you wrote a letter to your internet provider for the fifth time already the first one, you were very courteous and polite and 
uh, what's going on, we don't have a Wi-Fi yet, we don't have internet yet, on your fifth email, it's going to be just a one-liner. <laughs> that's how it feels like. And that's because this congregation is dealing with a very serious issue. And he wants to address it very directly, and it's a matter of great importance. And this is what I want to direct our attention as we look at the first nine verses of this passage. Apostle Paul tells this congregation, and by extension us, that there is no other gospel. There is no other gospel that we ought to place our lives on. And he gives both a warning and an encouragement. A warning and an encouragement. Warning is that we must get the gospel right. We must get the gospel right. And there are consequences if we believe the wrong gospel. But the encouragement here is that we can get the gospel right. We can get the gospel right and there are benefits when we get it right. There's value when we get it right. Okay, so those are the two things that we will explore today. We must get the gospel right. That's the warning. Number two, we can get the gospel right. That's the encouragement. Let's go through them, those two things. First, we must get the gospel right. So again, you, you can sense, even in this first nine verses, the tone uh, of this letter is very different. Paul is not taking this issue lightly because to get the gospel wrong is a big deal. To get the gospel wrong is a big deal. And, and actually, all of Paul's letter, I, I'm not saying this is only happening in, in, in Galatians, all of Paul's letter uh, in the Bible are to address some issues. Although he was thanking the Corinthian church, that's a deeply sinful, flawed church. Even though he appreciates the Thessalonian church, they had issues with their eschatology. But the issue here is a gospel issue. And there's, there is eternal consequences when you get this wrong. That's why, you know, without, without thanking the congregation, he says in verse 6, and I'm going to, you know, talk about first the, the second, the latter half of the letter of, of these verses. He says in verse 6, I'm astonished. I'm surprised. Not in a good way. I'm surprised at what you were doing. Why is this a big deal? It's a big deal for three things. Because to turn to a different gospel is to turn away from God. Paul says, and let me read again verse 6, I am surprised, I am deeply astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, God, and you are turning away, turning to a different gospel. You are deserting God and you're 
turning to a different gospel. Friends, to turn towards a different gospel, as Paul says, is to turn away from God. That's how heavy it is. Friends, a false gospel does not bring you to almost heaven. Let me repeat that. A false, a wrong gospel does not bring you to almost heaven. There's no such thing. Again, take note, these people received the preaching of Paul. They became Christians. They were included in the body of Christ. And in a short period of time, there's confusion and division among the church. They got the gospel wrong. Why? Because there were preachers and influencers within that community that distort the gospel. There were people within that community. They may have entered you know, after Paul and they have influenced a lot of people and they were preaching something else that is different from what Paul has been preaching. And that's, that's part of the problem that there are those who will preach and teach to us the wrong gospel. And Paul says, that's not good news at all. That's not good news. Verse 7 says, so you've, you are turning away from, uh, turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul calls them troublemakers. Troublemakers. Those who are preaching something else than the gospel. Friends, we must get the gospel right because Satan will always have a fresh supply of troublemakers around us that will distort the gospel. There will be always people who will preach a false version of the gospel. And you might think, that will not happen to me, pastor. How can anyone be so foolish? And that's the term that Paul will use to this Galatian church. How can anyone be so foolish to believe a false gospel? How can anyone believe you know, a message that's sent by Satan. How can anyone trust in something outside of the gospel? Let me tell you, it's very easy. It's very easy. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many go through it it's very easy to believe and be deceived by a false gospel it's very easy because our, our default sinful nature is geared towards a distorted, distorted version of the good news a false gospel will be appealing to our sinful hearts it will sound good in our ears. It will feel good. 
It will sound good. It will be tempting. Let me put it plainly. A false gospel, no matter how good it, it may sound, will still bring us to hell. How does our sinful heart distort this true gospel? How, even if Satan will not send false prophets and false teachers, our default sinful nature will still gear towards a distortion of the gospel. How do we do that? There are two ways. When we put additional requirements outside of faith in Jesus as necessary for one's salvation, we distort the gospel. When we say, oh, you must put your faith in Jesus, but you, you must also do this. That's the only time you become truly Christian. And that's the problem of this congregation it, that there are Jewish Christians, and this is probably what's happening in this congregation. There are Jewish Christians, I don't know if they're really Christians, in this Galatian community who entered and tried to convince them that there are still certain requirements specifically to be circumcised in order for them to belong to, to a community of faith. And, and we will get to that as we move uh, along towards this series. And so when we do that, when we say there are additional requirements outside of your faith in Jesus that will make you really truly be Christian, we are distorting the gospel. But there's another way to distort the gospel that's equally dangerous. So sometimes we fall on that distortion of the gospel and we call that legalism. There's another way. When we say, you know, you just need to be true to yourself. Just try to be good to others. You define what's good for your life and if you're not hurting anyone, if, if you are real to yourself and you can do anything you want that's good enough and God will accept you because what matters is the heart when we do that we also distort the gospel and our default nature because of our sinful heart is to either veer towards legalism to add something to the grace of God or liberalism to say, I don't really need the grace of God. To subtract from the gospel just to get, you know, just to get the things that we like and not ignore the things that we don't like is a distortion. To add to the gospel and to expect others to fulfill it is a distortion. Both are equally dangerous. And you know what? Those who believe in a different, distorted gospel live in guilt or pride. You will live your lives either in guilt 
or you will live your lives either in pride. And Apostle Paul gives this very strong warning in verse 8 and 9. But even if we, he includes himself, not, he's not an exception, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As if that is not enough, he repeats it, verse 9. I've said it before, I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That's how important it is that to distort the gospel brings curse in our lives. Friends, we must, we must get the gospel right because it is literally a matter of life and death. So you might be sitting there troubled in your heart. You might think, I need a, another cup of coffee with this pastor. You might say, oh no. What if I'm getting the, the wrong gospel? What if I cannot get the gospel right? What, what if I'm not articulate enough to get the gospel right? What if I'm not intelligent enough to get the gospel right? What if I cannot get the gospel right? Am I in trouble? Yes, you are. But the good news is, friends, you can get the gospel right. You can. Let me give two reasons why we can get the gospel right. Number one, because it is already revealed to us. It's revealed to us. It is not a secret. It is not only for the religious elite, those who enter into the seminary, those who are office bearers, those who finish the Bible in one year, those who have Bible plans, those who have Bible apps, who, who rehearse the, the Bible and, and memorize the Bible. It's not just for them. For everyone who believes, it's revealed to us in the scripture. And you can get the gospel right because all of whom God has called to himself will see the gospel with open eyes and open hearts and they will receive it. Everyone whom God has called to be with himself will see and understand the gospel. Another reason we can get the gospel right is because it's not dependent on you. It's not about us. Friends, the gospel is not a formula that you need to master so that you know, it's dependent on you to master it. It's not, the gospel is not a moral code that you need to follow so that it's really, again, dependent on you to, to follow it. The gospel is revealed to us 
It's not about us because it is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. To get the gospel right is to know Jesus Christ. It's to know Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul proclaims this to us in our passage. He inserts this in his greeting. That's how important it is to this letter. Sometimes we feel like, you know, he's just making a pleasantry or an introduction. He mentions the gospel in the greeting in verse 4. And I will read it in uh, the New Living Translation. This is a, a more modern translation, but it is still a faithful one so that we will understand it. Here's what Paul says about getting the gospel right. Jesus gave his life for our sins. Just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live, all glory to God forever and ever. Jesus did the work. God the Father planned it according to his will. He gets the glory. Where are we in that verse? We are mere happy beneficiaries of what God is graciously doing. And with that verse, we see the value of getting the gospel right. We see the benefit of getting the gospel right. We, number one, we see and we know the one who is at work in our salvation. We find how God is doing it. We find who is the one doing it. We find who is the one who deserves the glory in all of it. And number two, we, in here, because we are just mere happy beneficiaries of this rescue, we have an honest assessment of who we really are. Who are we? We realize here. That we are helpless and lost because of sin. We realize we are more sinful than we think. But because of Christ, we are far deeper, deeply loved than we can ever imagine. We are more sinful than we think. And we are deeply loved more than we can imagine. And here's how, <clears throat> you know, a, a, a pastor, theologian uh, shares this commentary in, in, in this uh, passage. He says, there is no indication of any other motivation or cause for Christ's mission except the will of God. There is nothing in us which merits it. Salvation is sheer grace. And this is the humbling truth that lies at the heart of Christianity. We love to be our own saviors. Our hearts love to manufacture glory for themselves. 
So we find messages of self-salvation extremely attractive, whether they are religious, you know, to keep rules and earn eternal blessing, or secular, to grab hold of these things, and you'll experience blessing now. The gospel, the biblical gospel, comes and turns them all upside down. It says, you are in such hopeless position that you need a rescue that has nothing to do with you at all. And then it says, God in Jesus Christ provides rescue which gives you far more than any false salvation that your, love, that your heart may love to chase. Those are the words of Tim Keller. Let me give some practical ways to, 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 to apply this. Number one, for those who are going through membership class, if you are going through membership class, you are asked to write your personal understanding of the gospel. And for some of you, that may be, you know, overwhelming. That may be too much of a requirement. You know, this preaching and hopefully any other preaching that we do here in this pulpit or anything that we do as a church is a resource for you. But when you write your answer to that question, what is the gospel? Please don't write it just to fulfill a requirement. Let it light a fire in your heart. Let it bring comfort and joy in your life. Let it humble you and bring you to the cross of Jesus. Let it turn your affection to Jesus and desire to live for him. We're not just doing the, the requirement for the sake of you know, making it hard for each and every one who wants to be a member of the church. We want it to ignite a fire in each and everyone's heart who wants to belong in this local church. And, do, and that's for those who are going through the membership class. But if you are here as a visitor, if you have been uh, attending our church, or you're not sure if you understand really what it means to be a Christian, if you are not sure what we really mean by the gospel, and you do not know if the gospel is really for you because of your past or because of your uncertain of the future, let me give this encouragement. The gospel is for anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. And if I'm going to put it plainly, Christ is enough. That's the message of the Galatians 1, 1 to 9. Christ is enough for your salvation. It is enough because for the first time in history and the only time in history, a proper, 
a final, a full payment for our sin has been completed in Jesus Christ on the cross. Christ is enough for your salvation. Believe in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for this is really good news for each and every one of us. Lord, forgive us when we distort the true gospel to think that it's about us, to think that it's less about Christ, to think that it is Christ plus other things. May you continue to shape our hearts in accordance with your word so that we will, it will bring us to true humility and true freedom for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.